The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. While still more people gathered in the crowd, Jesus said to them, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. At the judgment, the Queen of the South will rise with the men of this generation, and she will condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And there is something greater than Solomon here. At the judgment, the men of Nineveh will arise with this generation and condemn it. Because at the preaching of Jonah, they repented. And there is something greater than Jonah here. The Gospel of the Lord. There is an awful lot going on in the readings that the church places before us today. Beginning with our responsorial psalm, a heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. In the Christian tradition, there are certain words that we use frequently, but at times never really explain well. That word contrite is one of them. We, for example, know as we celebrate the sacrament of confession that one of the things we do is we make an act of contrition. But the question is, what exactly is contrition? What is a contrite heart? We know it has something to do with being sorry. We know it has something to do with regret. But we don't say a heart regretful or a heart that is sorry. We say a heart contrite. And so let's just begin there. Because the responsorial psalm is called the responsorial psalm not because we repeat a response. That is optional. The part where the congregation repeats something can be skipped. And the psalm can just be recited in its entirety. Because the responding is not what we are saying. The psalm itself is responding to something. In every Mass, the responsorial psalm is a response to the first reading. That's why it is the responsorial psalm. It is responding. And in our repeating of an antiphon, as we typically do, what we are doing is we are ourselves responding to the first reading. It's not simply we're repeating something because we're, we're supposed to repeat that phrase. And what do we see in our first reading? We see the odd repentance of the Ninevites at the preaching of the reluctant prophet Jonah. And we have to understand that. Jonah did not want this job. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh is that great city famous for the violence of its people the capital of ancient Assyria, that violent, bloodthirsty empire which dominated the Middle East. 
And it's understandable, one would think, that a prophet wouldn't want to go there because it's not safe. And this name, this name for the city of Nineveh becomes a byword for wickedness and intractable character. And yet we hear that Jonah arrives at the city and begins preaching 40 days more and Nineveh will be destroyed. Note the number, 40, it recurs again. 40 with this idea of repentance, 40 days to change. And the prophet begins speaking, and before he can even get through the city, there's already a response. Now imagine that. The prophet who didn't want to do this is preaching to the people who don't want to hear it. And they respond. These hardened, wicked hearts begin to respond. And this is where we have our first problem, because none of you laughed or smiled as our lector was proclaiming those words. Because there's something absolutely ridiculous in that reading. And if we miss the humor, we miss a significant part of the point. Scripture from time to time does make use of humor. And if we can't laugh, if we can't smile when we're reading it, if we fall into the trap of always thinking, this is scripture, it's serious. Our seriousness actually gets in the way of God's word speaking to us. And so note, pay attention to the details of the story because they're crazy. The king on his throne hears about the response. He doesn't even hear Jonah. Somebody repeats the word to him. He's struck to the heart, and then he gives the order. Now, those of you who own pets, whether it's dogs, cats, or goldfish, imagine this. The king gives the order, we must respond, and therefore every man, woman, and child, every cow, and every sheep in the city must repent. So those of you who have pets, imagine Rover repenting. Imagine that for a moment, because that is what is being ordered. Every man, woman, child, every beast in the city, your pets, your goldfish must wear sackcloth and put ashes on its head. Your dog, your cow. So imagine this. I mean, this is over the top. It's crazy. The cows must move their repentance. And so the sheep, wearing sackcloth and ashes, they must cry out toward heaven too. Note how crazy that is. It's ridiculous and Scripture is making a point that this is not merely the response of somebody who says, I need to do something. It is the response of someone who is cut completely to the heart. So deeply that the response must be complete, thorough, in fact, all-encompassing. All of Nineveh must repent, not just some. And that means all in the, to its most ridiculous thoroughness, including the cattle and the sheep, including the dogs and cats in the houses. What a remarkably ridiculous moment that is, but look what it says about the thoroughness of the response. Note how the humor with that odd image is showing us that this goes beyond the typical. 
This goes beyond the ordinary. This is not pro forma repentance. Because a heart contrite and humble, O God, you will not spurn. That line is from Psalm 51, the greatest of all of the penitential psalms in sacred scripture. It is a psalm that David wrote when he was cut to the heart over his guilt concerning his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. This desperate cry of a heart that knows it has fallen greatly and can only be healed by the Lord. And we have that word, a heart contrite and humble. And contrition is a word that implies brokenness. A heart contrite and humble is a heart that has been broken open. Note the image. This is not just, I'm sorry. This is, my guilt has struck me in such a way that my heart has broken open. And I cry out out of that, out of that great depth. A heart broken and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. Related to that is another word that we often use in the Catholic tradition, compunction. And just from the word itself, it applies piercing or puncturing. A heart that is compunct has been pierced, has been punctured, has been cut open. But note the image, the heart has been broken open. And in that breaking, it cries out and says, hear me, O Lord, heal me and forgive me and make me new. Because only you can put me back together. And all of a sudden, we see this powerful then response. And this then sits at the base of Jesus's frustration in the gospel. And note his words. You know, talk about wanting to win your audience over. This generation, meaning you guys right in front of me, is an evil generation. But as we hear those words, we have to recognize that we are not hearing them as a reminiscence of the past. Jesus is saying that to us right now. This present generation, this generation of us, the Lord says, is an evil generation. And arguably, if you look around, he's not wrong. Um, but why? This generation, he says, is asking for signs. In other words, prove yourself to me. You know, it is the created being turning to God and saying, give me a reason to trust you. Give me a reason to believe in you, as if God needs to prove himself to me. And he says, but remember what happened with Jonah. The wicked men and women of that wicked city on the last day are going to rise from their graves. They're going to look at all of you who heard me. And they're going to condemn you because you didn't move. You didn't respond. Your heart held back. Your heart said, I'm waiting for somebody else. I'm waiting for something more. You need to show me more. And he says, the prophet who didn't want to preach came to the people who didn't want to hear, and they heard, and they changed. 
and greater than that guy is standing in front of you with a greater message, a greater love, a greater goodness, and I actually want to be here. And you don't move. And he says, and, and the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba, she's going to come out of her grave with you guys, and she's going to look at you. And she's going to say, you stupid, foolish people, I went from one end of the earth to the other because I heard about Solomon and how wise he was. And I traveled that great distance just to hear him. And wiser than Solomon and greater than Solomon is standing in front of you. And you shrug your shoulders and say, maybe I should listen one of these days. You can hear the frustration in the voice of Jesus. Why is it? Why is it that the heart of man is always looking in the wrong place for somebody else and I'm right here? We see this today. For hundreds and hundreds of years, we Christians fall into the same trap over and over again. I know what the gospel says, but my political party says this. I know what the gospel says, but the reality of business says this. I know what the gospel says, but here's what I say. And we seek advice, and we seek wisdom, and we seek guidance from all of these sources that are at the very best second and second rate. And yet the source of all wisdom could be standing in front of us, and we say, yeah, I should get around to listening to him one of these days. Or I've heard him, but I like something else better. Know what the Lord is saying. It's not that the word hasn't come to you. It's not that I haven't come to you. It's not that I haven't offered you. It's that you're looking for something else. You're waiting for someone else. You're thinking you get better advice someplace else. And how easily we do that. How readily we do that. We lay aside our morality. We lay aside our standards for the sake of what is convenient, expedient, and sensible in merely worldly terms. How remarkable that is. And all the while, using a veneer of shallow Christianity to cover it over and say we're being authentic and we're being good. There's a lot going on here. What Jesus is basically saying, where's that contrition? Where's that brokenness of your heart? You keep asking for a sign, but the only sign this generation is going to get is the sign of Jonah. What is that? What's the sign of Jonah? Clearly, it's not just the guy who didn't want to go spoke to the people who didn't want to hear, and they responded. The Lord is also alluding to something that we know about the story of Jonah, and that is that the reluctant prophet was thrown off of a boat and swallowed by a fish and was in the belly of a fish for three days again. You're allowed to laugh. Imagine the ridiculousness of that. 
in the belly of a fish, raising his voice to heaven, crying about how the waters have risen up to my neck. Well, of course they have. You're in the belly of a fish. <laughs> and eventually the fish gets sick of Jonah and spits him up on the beach, and then he goes. But know what the Lord is saying. The sign is someone is going to be swallowed up, be below the earth for three days, and then come out. But not like Jonah did. Not a reluctant prophet swallowed by a fish who had indigestion and rejected him onto the shore so that he could go forward. But there will be one who will be swallowed up and come forth in a way that will reach the heart of the world. One will emerge from the belly of the grave. And he will speak with a voice that will convert the nations, that will reach from one end of the earth to the other. That's the sign that's going to be given. But there's a double character to the sign. There's a double character to the sign. Because Jonah, in no small measure, also represents our stubborn, reluctant hearts. When Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, Jonah said no and tried to go to the other side of the world, thinking he could get away from God. That's how he ended up inside the fish. But note, on the one hand, who is Jonah? Jonah is fallen, stubborn, reluctant man. And fallen, stubborn, reluctant man gets swallowed up by the grave in the end. Because by himself and on his own, that's all he can do. And that's all he has. And that's all that's waiting for him. Swallowed up with nowhere to go. You know what the Lord is also saying? But there will be another who will be swallowed up, who will come forth. And in doing so, he will drag Jonah and us and all of our reluctance out with him and bring us to light again in a new way. Jesus, in dying for us, bears the price of our stubbornness and our hardness of heart. Jesus, on his cross, is going to cry out with a broken heart for the healing of the world, not because his heart is broken in guilt, but because he is going to lift up the cry of repentance that we can't. And swallowed up, Jesus is going to come out of the grave. And as we see in the beautiful icon over here of our resurrection, when he comes out of the grave, he's not coming out alone. He's bringing us out with him. He's bringing humanity out with him from death to life. That's the sign. And the sign is that double sign, the victorious Christ but also the tragedy of ours that gets redeemed by him. What a powerful message in our readings today. And it brings us back to that line from the responsorial psalm. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. And the Lord is simply saying as we move through these weeks of Lent, what about my heart? What about my heart? How willing to move is my heart? How willing to change is my heart? Can my heart be cracked open even a little bit more for grace? 
Can I turn away from some of those false sources of consolation, from some of those false wisdoms I keep seeking out for the sake of that one only who is in himself the way, the truth, and the light? And note how wonderful it is that in just a few minutes, this same Jesus is going to be right here on this altar. And whatever else I've been seeking out this week, greater than that is going to be right here. On this altar, we have greater than Jonah. On this altar, we have greater than Solomon. We have greater than Moses. We have greater than David. We have greater than any earthly wise man or any earthly leader right here. Right here. We need look no further. We do not need to go to the other side of the world. He's right here. All we have to do is step forward and in all humility stretch out our hands. And if our hearts are broken open a little bit, so much the better for receiving his goodness. So much the better for being filled and penetrated by his mercy. Note how wonderful this is. Amen.